Well, what tremendous music. I, I appreciate the spirit of this church. Dr. Carlos told me a lot about you, and it's just good to be here. I feel like the, when the Queen of Sheba came down to visit uh, Solomon, I'm telling you, it's an awesome thing to come to a church that honors and glorifies the Lord. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer because at lunch, your pastor gave me eight minutes. Now he's giving me five, so let's just go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Won't be here too long. But you know, when I'm at a church, um, when I've never been to before, I'm always, well, I'm nervous, it doesn't, doesn't matter when I get up, but I'm always nervous when I get behind a pulpit, and I do appreciate the honor preacher for letting me be here tonight, but uh, it is good to look, uh, it's good to look around and see a lot of familiar faces. I was really shocked that I would see this many. I'm talking about the bald heads that are here. <clears throat> get to, I figure if you've seen one tomato, you've seen them all, so uh, look in the mirror every day. The preacher wanted me to take just a, a couple of three or 10 or 20 minutes and talk about a little bit that we do at the home office. We've been involved there um, at the office. We served in Ivory Coast, West Africa, and my wife and I, we, we've eaten a snail. And in Ivory Coast, we, it's a French-speaking country, so that animal that you saw over the, spread out over that fire, we call it agouti. They usually, over there where, where we live, they would boil it and make a sauce out of it. It's really good stuff. Awesome. And um, maybe I'm really homesick. But, uh, but the Lord is good. But um, uh, just before I do, my wife Karen is here. I appreciate her. She doesn't travel with me as much as she used to travel with me. Uh, she's got a lot of heart issues, and I hope you'll remember her in prayer. Uh, me, I've been diagnosed with a serious case of ingrown hairline. Otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in good shape other, other than that. But um, anyway, good shape. But uh, we have two children, our son Jason, he's a missionary in Ivory Coast, uh, or excuse me, was in Ivory Coast, West Africa, had to leave because of civil war. And now he is serving in Quebec, Canada. They're on, rec they're on track right now to have about 11 feet of snow this year. And he's got two, um, um, two works going and he's got a great ministry the Lord's blessed him with. And then our daughter Julie, uh, they serve in our home church, Old Swanee Baptist Church. John Quincy Adams was president when our church was established in 1828. So that's our church in Beaufort, Georgia, and the Lord has blessed us with a great church, a great pastor. Well, let me share a few thoughts with you about our, uh, what we do at Macedonia. I haven't been there for all these years. Um, it kind of, you kind of grow with the, the system and grow with all that you do. So you don't, I had to sit down actually today and I had to write down a bunch of things. And I'm just gonna kind of start at the top with a new candidate. And um, I guess the first thing that we do when we receive an application, we vet the, the missionary applicants, and uh, we've had some to fall through the cracks. Now, the reason, I will tell you up front, the reason we accepted the Stanleys, we thought that he was an heir to the Stanley Tool fortune. <laughs> you know? But anyway, didn't happen. The Paytons, of course, you know, we, he didn't, he, I, thought, I think a Peyton place when I think about him, but anyway. <laughs> But uh, the Lord's blessed us with wonderful families. But we vet, we vet them. We have them come in with their pastor. We want to make sure we know the pastor. We will not accept a missionary unless they're out of an independent uh, fundamental Baptist church, recommended by that church, supported by that church, because Macedonia does not send missionaries, and we don't start churches. That is the God-given scriptural responsibility of the local church. And so we want to meet the pastor so we can work with that pastor. If there's any issues, we'll do that. And uh, then after that, of course, we get board approval. When we have a new candidate come right after they have been approved, we set up a two-day orientation. And I know the Paytons and the Stanleys have been through that. And I tell them, when you come, you better come with an empty mind and an empty and a rested mind because we're going to fill it up and we're going to work you. 
And in those two days, we discuss where we talk about the missionary and the mission board and their relationship to us, and, and Dr. Caldwell covers all of that. And then we talk about deputation, about presenting yourself before a church and the the design of prayer cards and everything that goes through goes into the missionary getting started. They cannot start deputation until they have this mini orientation or basic orientation. And then the bulk of it or the heavy part of it is the is the time when we talk about finances. We talk about how money comes into the board, comes to them. We talk about their sub-accounts in our computer system. We have 20 sub-accounts underneath their missionary number where we, when the money comes in, it comes in designated. It either comes in designated as regular support or for a building or for a vehicle. It can come in uh, for whatever reason, and we can keep that money divided for them because that has to do with not only the projects they have going on, but also for tax purposes, and we talk about that. And then we do talk about expense reports. Uh, when the missionaries come to that, they think, all I just want to do is go to the mission field and preach. I just want to go start churches, and little do they know that all of this other stuff is involved. We talk about expense reports, what they have to keep up with in order to keep from paying Uncle Sam more than their fair share and housing requisition forms and all these things, well, that's our mini orientation or two-day orientation with a whole lot more. And by the time they leave, their eyes are kind of bugging out of their head and they, you know, they're just kind of walking around kind of uh, you know, crazy with a crazy look on their, on their faces. Um, but usually when we start the, the process of everything, I start out with this and I think the Paytons and the Stanleys will remember, I will say this because after this, they don't ask any questions. It is that there is no such thing as a dumb question only dumb people that ask questions, and so after that, you know, <laughs> I don't have any problems. They just don't say anything after that. But uh, we um, we talk, we help them with their, and Brother Travis Campbell helps them with their dis designs of different things, their prayer cards and all that. Um, from there we go, we, uh, well, let me just talk a little bit about accounting. One of the big things that we do there is we do handle the missionary support. And so, uh, as I've mentioned, they're set up in our computer system, and every day the mail comes in, it's posted to each missionary account, and then, this is really boring stuff, I understand, we just saw the DVD of Africa, and this is kind of boring, but in order for these things to happen, this also has to happen. And so we, the, the support comes in, and we have two ladies that handle all the money, they handle about $800,000 a month and uh, for all of the missionaries, and we have two people. I know some mission boards that, that do a whole, whole lot uh, more money uh, with a whole lot more people, but we have two because we don't have any kind of service charge whatsoever. And so they handle it, they, the money comes in, the receipts go out, and making sure that the people that are sending the money know that we're gonna take care of their money and make sure it's gonna go to the proper place. Once a month, we send them a detailed statement of every church, every donation, everything that comes in. It is itemized, it is detailed, and so they have a record of every church how much and where it came from. And so that's a little bit about the accounting that we do. Uh, we, before the missionary goes to the field, we have a departure interview. We try to do this at least two months before they go so that we can make sure that when they go, they're not going to have to call us up and say, you know what, I really didn't raise enough money. We need to... We want to avoid a lot of comings and goings just because they weren't really prepared financially. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. If the missionary's got 50% of his support or even 10% of the support, if the home church and pastor say they go, they go. But when the phone starts ringing because the missionary's coming back home, we'd say, call the pastor. 
That's why he's here. But, uh, but we want to make sure that, they, that finances is not one of the problems that they're going to run into. They're going to have enough burden. They're going to have enough fires. They're going to have enough uh, satanic attacks that they don't, that they're uh, just, just, just for the reality that they're there and not have to really worry about finances. We want to do that. So we want to make sure they have enough support, make sure they're going to have enough money to get their tickets and the things they have to get there. And then once they get there, be able to set up for the housing and all the things that they need to do the ministry. So we have a departure interview and the pastor, Dr. Caudill, and the missionary signed the document stating that they are ready to go. We have a checklist. Some of the things that we do in the checklist, we want to make sure that they have a will because very important, a lot of people don't have a will. So we want to make sure, and we do wills at the mission office. And I help all the missionaries with the wills and I am the number one beneficiary, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> you know. Just a perk of being able to do all that. But we, uh, we, we, we handle uh, doing wills. We don't have to if they want to do their own or get somebody to do it for them, they can, but we do wills. We also make sure that the missionary has life insurance. We found out a lot of life insurance companies do not honor the life insurance policy if the person resides, not travels overseas, but resides overseas especially in certain countries. So we found a company that will insure our missionaries no matter where they live. And if, even if they had a lot of health issues, they can still have $20,000 guarantee. And so we, we make sure we have life insurance. We help them with how much they need and all that sorts of things. We also have health insurance that we negotiate every year for overseas missionaries and make sure that they're taken care of that way. Of course, we handle, we do W-2s and 1099s. We're in that right now. Um, we also, some of the things that you may not think about, a lot of missionaries, they want to purchase a house. And so we have to fill out verification of employment forms. And because these are, uh, there's a lot of things that have to do with the salary and the work fund and with all these different accounts that they have, we have to make sure that the, the mortgage company understands how this fits together. And uh, so we have a lot of letters that we write. Also, when a missionary goes to the field, we have to write letters of guarantee to the government to ensure the government they're not going to be freeloading. They're not going to take advantage of their country. We're going to offer or make sure they have insurance. We're going to make sure they have an emergency fund set up to get them home in case of an, of an emergency. And so we guarantee their livelihood that they will not be a burden to that country. We work with other, other situations where we have to make sure there are certain documents that what's called an apostille. We have to take care of all those sorts of things and making sure that the missionaries, um, all of the things that they need to be able to get in the country and stay in the country, that uh, we are able to handle that. And while they're there, we make sure of how to get the money to them and all the sorts of things that go on. And so that is just one or two things, but then, uh, three or four, or 10 or 20. But um, I guess a couple of things, or uh, I guess the last thing that I would mention that it, to me is a very sad thing that we do is sometimes we have to bury a friend. Uh, we had a dear friend of ours, one of our missionaries, uh, Terry Anderson, passed away in Haiti. And uh, Karen and I went down for the funeral, buried our dear brother down there, and his wife is still there. Uh, he was a church planter that, um, through a series of circumstances, ended up with an orphanage. And his wife is still there, and God's blessing. So we have to make sure that she's taken care of. And then we just uh, also just recently had a dear lady, um, 48 years old, that passed away with cancer. I was diagnosed in for, I guess, about a year ago and then passed away, 48 years of age. And, and so that happens with the mission board. And we want to make sure that we help. We have several widows that, of our missionary husbands that have passed away. 
and we still maintain their support. And by the way, may I tell you, uh, we, with these 20 sub-accounts where all these, all these monies go to kind of separate them out, we have one sub-account called Benevolence. And when money goes to the Benevolence Fund for medical purposes or maybe a death, all of that money is tax-free as long as it goes into the Benevolence Fund and we give it to that missionary as benevolence or to the widow. And so that's just some of the things that we do at Macedonia and we do it all without any charge by taking any money out of the missionary support. You give a dollar, they get a dollar. Um, so Dr. Caudill helps, he's probably the main one that raises money, but God blesses and we appreciate all that he's done. Well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. I'm only going to take, it's right now about uh, 15, about 12 after the hour of 7 o'clock, and I promise that we're going to be out of here, I mean out the door and at home by 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Maybe the next a.m., but some a.m. Uh, this is Fisherman's Friend. I, I just got back from Alabama Wednesday night. And um, I brought with me, I didn't bring a banjo on my knee. I came back with a cold in my head. But these are fishermen's friend. I break them in half so they can tuck away. I got a little pocket back there, and I got them tucked in so that when I start coughing, maybe I'll be all right, and I may have to have the preacher throw me my water bottle I left down there. Luke chapter number 19. Let me share with you quickly three thoughts out of this chapter. If there is a passage of Scripture in the Bible, in the New Testament, that is totally, excuse me, tuck it back in. <laughs> totally related to what we do in this world today, it is this passage of Scripture in this parable. In this, in this chapter, we know the story of Zacchaeus, and that's one of the theological questions that we answer for our missionaries at Macedonia. Why did Zacchaeus climb the sycamore tree? Well, the answer is the sycamore tree was too short. But anyway, that's just... <laughs> Theological things that we deal with, but of course we have the the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, it gets worse as the as the time goes by. Anyway, um, we have the story of Zacchaeus, and of course in verse number nineteen we have in a nutshell the purpose of the Lord's coming. In verse number ten it says, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." That is the purpose for His coming. Everything else that he did while he was here pointed to who he was, but the death of the cross pointed to the purpose of why he came. He came to die on the cross, give his life, a ransom for many, and then to be put in a borrowed tomb and come forth out of that. So that's verse number 10. Now look at verse number 11. And as they heard these things, the statement that he just made, verse number 10, he added and spake a parable, and here's the reason why. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So in verse number 11, he's telling us that the Lord Jesus knew they were miss, missing the point. Their mind was on carnal things, earthly things. Could I even say political things? That's where their mind was. And so he's going to give a parable so that they can understand that verse number 10 doesn't have to do with carnal things, doesn't have to do with political things. It has absolutely everything to do with eternal things, with salvation. And so then he begins to give, verse number 12, this parable. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So they thought that this kingdom 
that he had been preaching about was going to come now. He's getting ready to kick out the Romans. I mean, this is, I mean, glory is on its way, and we're going to rule and reign with him. Not so fast. Some things have got to happen first. So this nobleman is going to go away and receive for himself a kingdom. Then he's going to come back. Look what he says now in verse number 13. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Let's pray. Father, for just a few moments that we have together, would you please bless uh, the thoughts that we have and help us that we would be a blessing to this church and that we would be faithful uh, in all that we do and say to always honor you. Thank you for the wonderful spirit, the wonderful hospitality that we've been shown since we've been here. And we praise your name for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me give you three things. Tonight, I'm going to go kind of in a negative tone, if you'll allow me to. Um, when we get through the verses, and I'm not going to be able to read all the verses for sake of time, but we're going to deal tonight with the last servant, the last servant. Um, verse number 20 says, and another came. The last servant that was judged is the one we're going to look at. Now, we know, of course, there were 10 servants, but he's the one I think is so important for all of us tonight to understand why it is important that we are busy doing what the Lord told us to do. So let me give you these three thoughts and we'll be done. First of all, I want you to notice with me his availability. In verse number 13, he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. His availability. When these 10 servants were called, this last servant, who is going to be the last one judge, he comes with the other nine. So when I think about availability, this man is there presenting himself. The, the, the Lord called, come. He comes with them. I think about people today. There are people that come to the altar. They present themselves. They surrender. They get up and say, you know, I've given my life to serve God no matter where he wants me to serve him. And here I go. And, and so this is the way so many people start their life. Because when I got saved, the thing that I wanted to do was please the Lord. And in pleasing the Lord, that meant that I wanted to give my life to whatever he wanted me to do, no matter where it was. And so I dedicated my life to serve Christ. And I have seen young people, uh, young people after young person, they come and they give their life to the Lord. He made himself available. And I say, praise the Lord for anybody that is willing to walk the aisle and say, here, I give my life to Christ. I want to be faithful. I want to serve him. I surrender all. And may I say that that is what he expects out of everybody. You don't have to be going to the mission field. You don't have to go anywhere to, uh, as far as location is concerned. Right here, you need to be just as surrendered as the man that gets on a plane or in a car and travels miles and miles away. I surrender all. So, number one, he made himself available because he presented himself to the Lord. Number two. Would you look with me again in verse number 13? The, the thing that I see next of all, his ability. He wasn't just available, but when I think about his availability, I think about his ability. Because if I'm going to do something for God, I don't want to be a failure. If I'm going to do something for God, I want to succeed. I want to be right in what I do. I want my life to count. And when I look at verse number 13, did you know that the Lord gave this man, this servant, exactly everything. So many times I look around and I look at the Stanley, you, that bunch over there, there's two problems that this fellow has over here. Two problems. Number one, he can sing. He's, he's like his brother. He can sing. The second problem is he's got hair. I, you know, 
I've got to tell this for your preacher's sake. You know, God makes people two ways. He makes people that are, are talented, and he makes people that are good looking, okay? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so a lot of times we feel short change, and I got, I got there sitting, sitting thinking when I saw people going from here to there and all over. And people, one of the qualifications for being a member of this church is you got to sing. Except the preacher. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to sing, you know. But sometimes we feel shortchanged. But God, I can't do what so-and-so did because look what they can do. They can, and they start naming the things that that person can do. He gave all ten servants the exact same thing. The first thing he gave them was a coin. He gave them a pound. They all got a coin. They got the exact same amount. We're not talking about these different talents that people have, and they all, oh, you know, I can do this and I can do that. They all got the same thing. Can I tell you what we all got tonight? Think about what did he give them that they shared equally. Can I tell you what we got? It happened the very moment that you received Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you what you got that you never had before? I'm not talking about the life and the, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what you got? It's the thing that Paul used Everywhere Paul went, whether it was before a pauper or a prince, it was his testimony. I was on the road to Damascus when I saw a great light. And there he met the Lord. You might have been in church. You might have been at home. You might have been in your car. You might have been at work. You might have been in a field. I don't care where you were. But can I tell you, there was a time in your life when you were lost. And all of a sudden, you became found. All of a sudden, a person that was dead. All of a sudden, now you got life. I want you to know a testimony. And if you're saved by the grace of God, you don't have to be a great orator. All you got to be is saved by the grace of God. And just tell what he did for you. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to learn anything. You already got it the moment you got saved. Here's what happened to me. The second thing he gave them, when I look at the verse of Scripture, he gave them a command. He gave them a command. You know what? I'm, 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 I was gonna, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what in just a minute. I'm not going to tell you what right now. But he gave them a command. That was the marching order. He gave them the word occupy. Occupy doesn't mean to sit around and hold the fort. It doesn't mean to sit around and be satisfied. Occupy is where we get our, our word occupation. It is what they were going to to do as they're living. It was what was going to occupy their time. People say, I'm so bored, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. You know, uh, that's about working your thumbs. You know, I'm so bored. Can I tell you, he has given us something that will occupy us until he comes. And that is the ministry of trading, the ministry of working our testimony. Occupy till I come. He gave them a command. Thirdly, he gave them a clock. C-L-O-C-K. He gave them a clock. Look what it says in verse number 13. Occupy till I come. So when I think about the coin that began the testimony, I think about the command that is the responsibility. But can, when I think about the clock, the clock is a ticking object. I mean, it clicks and ticks and, man, it never stops. Whether we have a clock or a watch, whether we know it or not, the clock is ticking on our life. But I call that our opportunity. He's given us an opportunity. Can you imagine why you were born? Why were you born right now? Why are you here right now? He wanted you here right now. 
You think about family trees, I don't know where I came from, maybe a bowling ball, I don't know, I don't know where I came from. It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter how I got here. All I know is I am here when God wants me here to do something and be somewhere, to do something for God. Did you know what I think about what he gave me in my ability? He gave me everything he gave me in verse number 10 because God has a place for me. A place for me. Can I tell you what God has got given to me? He's given me a people. But can I tell you, let's narrow it on down because sometimes we get blown away by the place looking at that stuff that you showed tonight. If we could just bottle the smell, bring it in, whew, you know, the place can blow us away. Sometimes the people, the multitude, the magnitude of population can just destroy us. But when you boil it all down, it has to do with a person, a person, somebody. So he gave them everything they needed to do what he wanted them to do. And the reason I know that is because when we come over into the next part, they, some of them did it, exactly what they were told to do. So thirdly, I want to share with you and look at this last point. Just spend a couple of minutes on it. He gave them, or, or not gave them, but the third thing I see about him is his accountability. His accountability. Um, he presented himself. He prepared himself. But then we see his accountability and how he perjured himself. You ever hear anybody talk about being they perjured themselves, they lied. We see these first two come, and it's interesting when these first two come, one gained five, the other gained two, and, and the recommendation, the commendation, and, and the praise that the, the Lord had for them. But would you look with me in verse number 15 for just a moment? The Bible gives us five words, and it says, and it came to pass. You know, we're talking about he's going to come back, he's going to come back, he's going to come back, but he hasn't come back. May we rest assured tonight, he is coming back. He's coming back. Did you know that when I look at these people, they were all called collectively, verse 13. They weren't called separately, but collectively. But we are all judged individually. When I think about the call, did you know that the call was a call to come and not a call to go? A lot of people think, well, i got to have a call, i got to have a call. you got a call. You know what the call is? The call is to surrender, to serve. we got a call to come, and one day he's going to call us to come up hither, and that is going to be a call to stand in judgment. And we're going to stand in judgment, and we're going to give an account for ourselves, each and every one of us. And so collectively, they received all they needed to serve him. Collectively, they were given the command. Collectively, it happened collectively because that was the way it happens, because we have the same Bible. We have the same mission, but then the judgment is individually. Can I give you a couple things about him? I want you to look at some phrases that we have here. The second, in verse number 20, it talks about how he came and he brought the pound. The pound was laid up in a napkin and he hid it. Now let's look at verse 21. And he said, for I feared the reason I, the reason I had this uh, coin in my pocket hidden is because I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Can I stop right there? I'm going to get to the first part in just a second. Would you look what he said? I want you to look at the accusation that he made against his master. You are a harsh, hard tyrant. That's what he called his master. That's the one 
prior to he'd come and given himself and, and he'd given and the master had given everything he needed to serve him. And now he's saying, you know, you're hard. You're harsh. Man, look what he says. You, you, you've sown where you, you know, I mean, you're reaping where you didn't sow and you're doing all this. That, I mean, just a tyrant. But you remember he went on a journey. That's, he went away on a journey. But you know where the first place that journey took him? It took him to a cross. The second place that, that journey took him, it took him to a grave, a tomb. Brought him out of that tomb, took him to heaven. And can I tell you, the kingdom he's gone to receive, he didn't take anything that he didn't purchase. He didn't take anything that wasn't rightfully his. He created it. He made it. And then he bought it back. This, this servant is saying, hey, look what you are, tough stuff. Dude, come up. What a wicked act. Can I tell you the problem this man had? Let me tell you why you're too harsh, Lord. You are demanding of me, of me in my life things that I don't want to give you. Yeah, I said I surrender all, but you know what? I didn't really mean it. That's the way a lot of people are. I surrender all. Easy to say, hard to do. Hard to do. So can I, when I think about the act and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you everything that he did was nothing but a pure work of love. Everything that he did. But I want to, I want to close with verse, the first part of it. I was just... Wanted to look at that, what he called him. But look at verse number 21 again. He says, the reason I kept this coin hid in my pocket is because I feared thee. The Lord goes on to say, verse number 22, and he saith unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, gavest thou not my money into the bank that at my coming, I might have required my own with usury. I was raised, I have three brothers or four boys. We were all raised by a lady who was about four feet, 11 inches tall. Four feet, 11 inches tall. My mom, when we were little kids, she was about, about 10 feet tall, okay? I mean, if to a little kid, four feet, 11 inches is tall, okay? And my mom, my dad never, he never, dis, never whipped us, never. Because there was nothing left when my mama got through with us. I'm telling you. My mama didn't talk with a sweet voice. She'd, she'd come at you. I mean, my mom was mean. Wicked, cruel, tyrant of a woman. My mom, that was my mom. Mean. Oh my. She's in heaven right now. She can't do anything about it. You see me hit the floor, it's because you didn't smack me. But anyway, <laughs> my mom. I don't understand what the servant says in verse number 21. I want you to listen to the logic for just a moment. Now I'm done. She, he says, the reason I did not obey you is because I feared you. Not to see. We are good looking folk up there. Not real smart, but we're good looking. <laughs> that doesn't go, that doesn't, I don't, that doesn't compute with my poor brain. Right. The reason, hey, my mama said, hey, hey, mom, I feared my mom. Four feet eleven, she could pick me up, even there. <laughs> so, the problem, he said, out of your mouth, I'm going to judge you. And here's where he purged himself. I want you to look at verse number 14. Verse number 14, he says that, and his citizens sent an ambassador after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign 
or brewing or press. Think about it. They were to take this pound and they were to go out and they were to do their trading with the citizens that just said, we will not have this man to write on us. The problem was fear. But it wasn't a fear of him. It wasn't a fear of him. He had already said, let me tell you what you are. You're making, you're taking, you're taking my life. Yeah, I went to the altar, I did everything like everybody else, but I didn't mean it. Because this is my life. This is my time. This is me. And you messed with my life. He wasn't very worried about the kingdom he just got, gotten and come back. He wasn't worried about, he was only worried about himself. Well, thine own not will I judge thee, thou. Listen, there's no thou wicked servant. The word wicked there doesn't necessarily mean a, a representation of his character, but the effect of his life. The effect of his life. His action that affected other people and his inaction that affected other people. Thou wicked servant. How many people do we have today that because of a fear, they're, a fear, they're afraid of them, of what they're going to say, what they're going to do. They're afraid that they're going to lose control of their life and He's going to send them to make them eat snails. He's going to send them. Hey, the God that will help you eat it is the God that will help you keep it down. I don't know. <laughs> So he was judged. But can I tell you what the bottom line of it all is? He knows. He knows my heart. And we have people today. You know what's sad? We have people today that are going to go through their entire life. And they have, will have wisdom and the opportunity. Every opportunity. I, wouldn't go, I, I know my time. My son called me yesterday. I was sitting there studying a little bit. My son called me, and we're, he, we're prayer partners, and he's got a little, along with a lot of other things he does, but he, he's a good dad, and he, he's got his boys into Taekwondo, and, and um, he's got some other things. But you know, not one person there, the man that's in head of it and all that, lost. Everyone was lost. But we've been praying for him. We're praying that God will save this man and his wife. And all the kids and all the teens and all of the adults and all the parents that come, we're praying that God would give my son these men and women and boys and girls. We're praying. Man, we're talking about people that are hard. He called me yesterday. He's going to call me and say, Daddy, and just like a little crack is coming in that door. Just a little bit. He called me up yesterday. He called me up last week. And he said, pray for Jackie and Nancy. Because they want us to come and eat with them because they're interested. Jackie's he does Taekwondo. And that's his wife, Nancy. He got children to do Taekwondo. They called me yesterday and they had just done Taekwondo. To my grandson one ball yesterday, I'll I'm trying to bring the But he called me up and he said, Dad, let me tell you what happened. He said, Jackie said, we got to get together. We want to come over to your house. I want you to come over to our house. And we want to learn. We want to learn about what's going on. What is this stuff? And he said, you know what? We made us come to church. Well, met Pascal. Pascal is his name. Pascal Blavere is the, is the Taekwondo instructor. 
he said, you know what? Me and my wife want to come to your church. And he just, they're all in a group right now because he's doing some instructing. And he just yelled. He said, you know what? We all ought to go over to pastor's, pastor's church. All of it. When Jason told me that, I almost got up and ran around my office. I mean, I started, hey, man, you don't get a table. We are people that are dying going to hell every day. Yeah. Every day. And we got some folks that go, this is my life. You're too hard on me. I don't like what you want. I don't like what you're doing. So, what holds us back? What truly holds us back? Let's stand our feet for you to come. Father, I just pray that you have your way in our hearts of God.